You are listening to an eight-week teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled, The Lord's Prayer. The invitation from God is not into religion, but a relationship. And like any relationship, communication is vital to its success. This series explores Jesus' response to his disciples' desire to learn to pray. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. The claim of the Christian is that they know God. Um which is kind of an outrageous claim when you think about it. It's not that they know facts about God or that they serve God or worship God. The claim of the Christian is that they have a walking, talking, authentic relationship with God. First John 1, 3, just a verse before what was just read, says this, Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And that word fellowship is this word that means partnership, or it means something in common, relationship, being on the same page. Full joy comes to us when we are on the same page with God. You simply believing in God will not bring you uh, this new level of joy in your life that you hope to have. It happens with getting in sync with God. Uh, James, uh, in his letter to his church, he talks about a double-minded man, uh, a man who's stuck in the middle, uh, someone who has too much uh, God in them to be happy with the world, but too much world in them to be happy with God. They're, they're kind of stuck in the middle. It's like being in between two radio stations, you know, like you're in one and you want to get out of there, so you hit seek, but you don't quite make it to the other one. You're kind of stuck, you know, he's ecstatic and it's awful. And uh, that's what this is like. It's like you don't, you're unstable in all your ways. You're, you're not really happy with either one. You're kind of in this middle. You're, uh, it would be better if you went to one or the other. And Bring that up because I think if we're being honest, it's okay to be honest here. Um, sometimes we think like, man, I don't really enjoy Christianity the way I thought I would or the way I think other people do. Or, you know, everyone seems so happy and I'm just like, I, you know, I find this kind of miserable. Why am I not experiencing this fullness of life? You know, John says, I write these things that your joy may be complete. Well, the reason why... It's because we're out of sync with God, which is why we want to do this series. We're doing an eight-week series on the Lord's Prayer that's designed us to help us to pray. But it's really an eight-week series on how uh, to relate to God, how to get in sync with Him, how to have fellowship with Him. And today is maybe not the most important part of the prayer, uh, but it's probably the defining moment of the prayer. So the prayer starts off, Our Father who art in heaven. That's the most important part. The most important part of this prayer is that when you engage with Him, when you connect with Him, you're, you're, you're declaring who He is, you're worshiping Our Father who is in heaven. Holy is Your name. Your name's sacred. Your name's the best. You know, I pray that Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will, but Your will. And I'm trusting You for my daily bread. I'm dependent upon Your daily bread. And this part here, forgive us our debts, forgive us our sins, is a defining moment of this prayer. It, it, it helps us to know if we're picking up what God's putting down, if we're tracking with what he's saying to us. Because to say, God, forgive us our debts, is to admit that you do have a debt, that you do have a sin, that God is right and we are wrong. And that's why we're in, in John's epistle because it is about the Lord's Prayer, and so why we end it? Well, First John really helps us what it means to confess, what it means to repent, what it means to ask for forgiveness. So there's a few things I want to point out. The first one I want to point out that uh, to pray, forgive us our debts, is expressing a desire and a commitment to leave darkness and come into the light. 
It's, it's expressing a desire to say, I want to leave darkness and come into light, which means that you don't want to sin, and you think sin is, is bad. So this, if you notice this imagery of light, it says God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Darkness referring to moral darkness, injustice, violence, hypocrisy, hatred, hatred uh, unfaithfulness, impurity. You can't say you love the light if you want to walk in darkness. Uh, You cannot have fellowship with God and willfully pursue what God calls sin no more than light can can coexist with darkness. Well, here's the good news. If you are a Christian, if you've been uh, uh, saved by God, you have a new spirit inside of you that loves the light. Now, so when you become a Christian, what God doesn't do, he doesn't put guards around you and and like threaten you to not sin. Like if you sin, I'm going to, you know, pull the trigger. It's not what he does. When he saves us, he changes our nature so that we don't desire sin. We have something inside of us that that wants the light. Psalm 19, David says, The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The precepts, which is another word for the law, of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Is that how you feel about the law? You have this like, oh, I just love the law of God. You can't get enough of it. Are they desirable to you? Or is kind of more your question is like, what is the minimum requirement for God to be happy with me? Tell me like the minimum requirement so I can, you know what? I don't even care if God's happy. I just don't want him to be mad at me. You know, I can find my happiness elsewhere. I just don't want him to like do something bad to me. That's all I really want. Well, you, you got too much God in you to be happy with the world, but you got too much world with you to be happy with God, and you need to be in sync. God is building within you both the will and the way by his spirit. Now, as Christians, we can quench the spirit. Um, the spirit uh, doesn't leave us. So, like, if when he says that if you walk in the if you do, if you walk in darkness, you have no fellowship with him. He's not saying that you don't have salvation. Like, if you like darkness, you don't have salvation. He's saying that you don't have uh, relationship. Uh, God's spirit doesn't leave us. God's promise to never leave us or forsake us. His spirit is with us till the end of the age. Um, but it's almost like we can turn down the volume of God's spirit or we can turn the volume up so we can quench it. We can quiet, get quiet. I don't, you know, you're, you're telling me this is not something I should do, but I want to do it. I'm going to turn that down. I'm going to turn that down. So that's what, what, that's what the Bible gets at, or, or particularly Paul, when he writes things like, you know, you can live by the spirit, you walk by the spirit, you can live by the flesh, walk by the flesh, compa- you know, comparing, contrasting, living by the flesh or living by the spirit, which means that we can seek to gratify our, if we could do what we want to do, we can walk in darkness because that's our flesh from the Bible. That's a Bible word that just really means not that part of you that's not yet submitted to God. So you, you, you obey that part of you that doesn't want to submit to God versus obeying the spirit that's inside of you that just longs, that's like David who's like, I just, I want to go to bed with your law between my pillow and my head every night. So we live by the, when we live by the flesh, we can, we can diminish 
or turn down the voice of the Spirit, when we do that, it diminishes our relationship. And when we diminish that relationship and we lose that relationship that we have, this kind of not knowing facts, Christianity isn't knowing facts about God, but it's, it's walking in this fellowship with God. And that's where the joy is. The joy isn't the fact that you know you can, you've got 10 verses memorized. There's no joy in that if it doesn't lead you to fellowship. In fact, Jesus, when he was talking to, his, uh, talking to the Pharisees, he said that who had the Old Testament memorized, he says that you search the scriptures in vain because they don't lead to me. The whole point of Christianity is walking in this relationship with him. It's not knowing things about God. It's not doing, doing religious stuff. It's about having this relationship. And when this relationship goes away, it's just this huge downward spiral to where you've got you know, 50% of America saying they've said some prayer, saying they're a Christian, but yet in the same survey, they, they express uh, no regular presence in any kind of church or any lifestyle or wor- worldview that has anything to do with Christianity. The light has diminished. So how do you, what, what are we doing? So, well, the Bible has a word uh, for how we can change because we look at our lives and we want to change. Um, we look at the hurt, we look at the disappointment, and we think, can I change? I want to change. I have a need for change. Can I change? The answer is yes. And the answer to that is to repent. It's to repent. You know, you go to the bookstore, you can find a hundred different ways on how to change. The Bible has one. It's to repent. It's to come into the light. Jesus came on the scene. He said, repent and believe the gospel. You can't have fellowship with the light if you want to follow the darkness. It's like a, a guy before his wedding night coming to his fiance and saying, hey, you're my number one, but I just want you to know you're not the only one. You're my number one. You're just not the only one. I hope you understand I'm not giving up my relationship with all these other girls, but don't worry, baby. You're the number one of all the other girls. She would say, if I'm not, I don't want to be the number one. I want to be the only one. And that's what John's getting at. You can't say that you have fellowship with God if you walk in the darkness. There are Christians who say to me, you know, we, you know, we live together, and I know that's wrong, I guess, but, you know, I think, I think God will be okay with it. Or I know people who cheat on their taxes or steal music on the Internet and say, I know it's wrong, but nobody's perfect. College student gets drunk, sleeps with some girl, comes to church, doesn't feel any. Or maybe it's just a part of God's word that you just find offensive. You know, it's just like, you know, I like this part, but I don't like this part. So, you know, the Bible's just some big salad bar where you pick what you like and you leave what you don't. You can't love Jesus, embrace what he died to put an end to. John says this in First uh, John uh, 2, 4. He says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a what? That's kind of rough. He's a liar. How could he be so confident? How could he be so confident to say that anyone who does not keep his commandments is a liar? Well, probably because Jesus said something similar. Luke 6. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you to do? There's a group of people come to him. I mean, I love your miracles. I love your teaching. I feel really good when I'm around you. And I know this is probably... The Lord part. I don't know if, and he's like, well, why do you call me? Why do you, why do you say you f- want to be a follower if you 
you're not a follower, in other words. You can't, you can't, you can't say you're in a relationship. You can't follow. You can't be in the light and be in the darkness. And sometimes, if you think about it in human terms, what relationship do you have where, um, where you consistently crossed a will and ignored the things that demonstrate love to them? What relationships do you have where that's a good relationship? Where someone is consistently treating you like you don't want to be treated? Is, is that a good relationship to you? No, after a few different few times where it's like, I think I've told them that I don't like that, but they did it again. So I'll tell them again. Hey, I don't like that. When they do it again, and then you, hey, I don't like that, and you do it again. Maybe, just maybe, they don't want to be in a relationship with me. It's not a good relationship. So God's communicating to us. If you, someone says they know me, but don't keep my commandments, they, like they don't know me. They don't know who I am. They're, they're, they want to be in darkness, yet they say they're in the light. It can't happen. Of course, it's not talking about being perfect. Um, nobody's perfect. We fail often. I know I do. But you always get up and assume this posture that he is light and we are dark. Which leads me to the second thing. If we, it says that, he says in verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So to pray to forgive us our debts is to admit that you sin. So one is just to willfully sin and, and not care. The other one, though, is to say that you don't sin. I don't sin. It's an error on the opposite side. John is actually trying to tell us that being aware of your own sinfulness is a sign that you do know God, not that you don't know God. Uh, Because one of the first evidence of the light of grace in your life is that you become aware of your sin. Like if you'd imagine like there's like this really filthy room with laundry everywhere and, you know, and and furniture turned over, if it was just pitch black in there and someone says, is that, is that room dirty? You would say, well, I don't know. I can't tell. And then you light a match and you can say, oh, wait a minute, there's some furniture turned over. And then you flip on the lights in the room and then you can notice there's clothes everywhere. Then you get out like this halogen bulb or something. You start to look and you could see like the dust on the furniture and the grime and stuff on the baseboards. The light revealed that there's darkness, and that's what happens when God the light comes into your life, is you begin to see, you begin to see how sinful your heart is. And people are so resistant to this because we want to, we want to believe that at our nature that we are good people who deserve good things. But this awareness of the, of the, God, the gospel light in your life is, is one of the first signs that you're becoming aware of your sin. The person who feels like they have no more problems are, are more blind than they think. I don't sin. I don't, I don't need to confess anything because I don't sin. I don't need to confess anything because I don't need to sin. You know, you meet these Christians who are just like, they just act like they're perfect. Like, yeah, you know, like, you know, you ask them, hey, what are you struggling with? Well, I think my struggle is I care too much. And, you know, it's just like, you know, I last, like last month I gave away so much money I didn't have enough for myself. That's my... I was like, that's interesting, because um, I want to stomp on your face. That's my struggle right now <laughs> uh, with golf cleats. And so we, uh, Mr. Perfect, now I don't want to tell you. Um, the clearest sign that you are growing in grace is not that you no longer sin, but you are more aware of just how deep sin pervades your heart. I mean, that's how it plays out for me. Like, there's this verse in Philippians 2 I've been dwelling on lately. 
It's only in the King James, so you got to know it from the King James. It says that Jesus, uh, that um, he made himself of no reputation. He made himself of no reputation. And I've been thinking lately how many things that I do because I care about my reputation. I don't know how you're going to feel about this, but sometimes I do things not because I care about people, because I'm thinking about my reputation. But Jesus made himself no reputation. And that's something I've been really dealing with lately. Now, did that just appear in my life? Or maybe it's always been there. I'm just now seeing it. It's always been there. And the reason why I can see it isn't because I'm becoming darker. It's because I believe that I'm day by day growing in my relationship with him and his light is shining more in my life and I could see things I couldn't see before. Closeness to God does not make you feel holier. It makes you feel dirtier. Isaiah found that out. He came before God and he said, Woe is me, I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips. And I don't know if you... I mean, there's not... If there's like a religious food, like org chart, Isaiah would have to be at the top, near the top. I mean, he's a prophet of God. He's got, you know, a book of the Bible named after him. I mean, I don't know what your, you know, resume says, but that's a pretty good, <laughs> pretty strong, pretty solid. And, um, but what he, when, what, when he found himself in front of God, he didn't bust out of, man, I feel great. I feel like a million bucks. He felt terrible. He said, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. I am ruined. When he got close to God, what, what didn't stand out to him was not how awesome he was, but about how sinful he was. A, a pro, when you approach the light it, it, and you, you begin to see all these things in your life that you didn't see before and you begin to confess these things. In fact, someone who carries themselves with an air of how good they are shows that they really don't know God at all. And that's what, that's what John's trying to say. If you walk around and say, I don't really have anything to repent for. Like my life's been, my, I've had a pretty good week. I can't really think of anything I've done wrong. That is a, you're basically saying, I've not gotten close to God at all. Because if I got close to God, I, I, you, you'd notice some things. You know some things. They would have what I would call spiritual BO. Let me explain that. You know, if you imagine a guy, you know, it's not hard to imagine a guy like this, by the way. If you imagine a guy who, like, never, he doesn't take a shower, he just changes his clothes. You know, maybe a little Febreze in his car or something like that. But this, he, he just changes his clothes. So from a distance, from a distance, he looks clean. But you get up close, not clean. Not clean at all. A lot of church folk have spiritual BO. I'd say more often than not. Because they put on these religious garments. But the sign that God's bathing light has come into your heart is when you realize how much sin you have in your life and you confess it. You're not walking away, walking around saying, I've had a great week. My marriage is awesome. I feel good. I feel great. Everything's awesome. Perfect. Couldn't be better. Nothing's wrong. 
spiritual BO. The, the outside is okay, and, and that'll take a pass, but you know and God knows that you're, there's nothing closer. So there's, there's really two things. Why do we do this? Well, there's two reasons. There's two ways that we can be tempted to respond to the light shining into our life that I want to warn you against. Number one is just to retreat back in the darkness. That's, that's our favorite thing to do. Like, you know, you go to a movie theater, and, like, it's super dark in a movie theater. But they're smart. They, they understand how our eyes work. And so if you go in the hallway to use the restroom or to leave, it's just a little bit lighter. And you get in the lobby, it's a little bit lighter before you get outside. But if you've ever been in a hurry, and you see one of those exit signs in the back, so you run to go in the back, you're like, whoa! The, you know, it's even a cloudy day. It's just like, whoa, the light. You just, your, your eyes can barely take it. So you, what do you want to do? You want to run back into the darkness because your eyes have gotten used to the darkness. They're not used to the light. So you want to retreat. John 3, Jesus says, and this is judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come in the light lest his works should be exposed. You staying in darkness is a sign that you have sinned, not that you don't have sin. But we all sin. You love the darkness. We love the darkness because it's comfortable there. We can be comfortable with our sin. When it gets into the light, it's uncomfortable. But once you get used to light, when your eyes adjust to the light, you love it because now you can see, now you can get around, you can move more quickly, and you can begin to take care of things that need to be taken care of. I'm urging you to stay in the light. And I can feel it. I can feel it. When I'm preaching, I know there's like, you know, you're, some of you may be thinking like, is now a good time to get up and leave or should I? I'll just wait and send them an email later and then you write an email and you don't send it. But anyway, the, um, or you send it. But, or the bigger one is community. This is where it really plays in because I don't know your life. You know, most, the extent of our relationship, most people in this room is you see me on Sunday and I speak and, you know, we have a few moments in, in the hallway, but the people who are in your community group, the people you're doing life with, those are the ones that you know, who know you. And those are the ones that you really want to avoid. And we do avoid them. We want to treat back in the light. Something in our life gets exposed. We're not as good as we pretend to be. Our marriage is not really all that great. We're terrible. We, mess up our finances, we, we're full of lust, full of anger, we just want to keep it in the darkness, and so when we bump up against other people who are trying to show us through the light of God's word, why'd you leave, ah, you know, just our personalities just didn't click, number two, you get defensive, and one insists on your goodness, well, my sins are not that bad, I'm really a good person. You know, I just, I, had, I didn't have great parents. I hung out with the wrong crowd. The Bible says that we are children of wrath, sons and daughters of disobedience, born in iniquity. We don't sin because we hung around with the wrong crowd. We sin because we are the wrong crowd. We, our heart wants those things. This is the reason why they're our friends. Their, their darkness matches our darkness, and so we, we can connect. And I hear, I hear people say that sometimes. I'm like, why are you telling me this? They'll say, 
you know, I just feel like I connect more with people who are outside the church than inside the church. Why we, do you understand what you're saying? You understand that you, you, like, you're, you, you, you don't connect because I don't like the light. I like, I like where it's dark and I feel comfortable staying the way I am. Brothers and sisters, when a sin or wrong attitude is put in front of you, how do you respond? Do you hide and run from it? Do you, are you defensive when something is brought to your attention? You know, I'm, something gets preached or something gets communicated. Oh, that was for somebody else. It's not me. Or some, a friend brings you, hey, I think, you know, here's what the Bible says. Here's where your life is. I, I think you need to adjust your life a few degrees. And you just, you, you hide, you run, you're defensive. There's a third option. The third option is that we confess it. Yeah, you're right. I am that way. And we ask for forgiveness. We pray, Father, forgive me of my debts. Forgive me of my sin. John says this. He says, my children, I'm writing these things that you may not sin. God doesn't want us to sin. He, he came to um, crush the works of the enemy. But if anyone does sin, and we all fall into that category, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the world. There's two key words I want to talk about, propitiation and an advocate. Propitiation is a hard word. It's probably not a word that you use in everyday conversation. And by the way, some preachers would say like, hey, you know, just you can't, you know, just don't say those words, just kind of keep it simple, change the meaning, I don't know. But I say, number one, it's my job to teach you what these words mean. Secondly, if you can figure out what the names of Starbucks mean, then you can figure out this word. So like, I, I can't even order those drinks. But if you can order those drinks, you can, you can figure this one out. Just give me that one. That's my point. Just give me that one. Third down. The word propitiation means a claim against you has been satisfied. It means a claim against you has been satisfied. For example, if, if I caused a traffic accident causing you know, thousands of dollars in jam- damage, someone else um, has a charge against me. And when I pay the sum total of these damages to the other person, that I'm propitiated, that there's no claim against me because... The, the, the payment has been satisfied. Jesus propitiated the holy wrath of God for our sin by suffering the full penalty in our place. On the cross, Jesus took every ounce of punishment, the full wrath of God for our sin, past, present, and future. He drank that cup. And he didn't leave an ounce. He drank it all. He suffered. That's why the cross is so bloody and gruesome. It's because our sin is so gruesome. It necessitated the brutal murder of Jesus. And which leads me to the second word, advocate. Advocate is a legal term. It refers to a lawyer going before a judge and pleading our case. Jesus is our advocate before the Father, like a lawyer pleading our case. But what is he pleading? What is he saying up there? I used to think, I read this and it was some encouragement, I used to think that what this meant is that Jesus is up there saying, Brian's a good guy. I, I, you know, I know there's, you know there's this legal case against him, but he's a good guy. Just, Father, please, please give him one more 
Give him another chance. And I, Father, you owe me. I mean, I've done everything you've asked me to do. You owe me. Give him another chance. I used to think that, and that was some encouragement, but I'd always think like, well, he was lenient the last time. Will he be lenient? Will he be lenient this time? However, Jesus' appeal to God isn't for mercy on my behalf. It's for justice. Let me tell you why that's more comforting. He is satisfied. Jesus has satisfied all the claims against me. Now he says for the Father, I have paid the full penalty price for his sin. I took the penalty due him so he could have the credit due me. It is only right and just that he not be held accountable for that sin because I was held accountable for that sin. It would be unjust to punish me and Brian. Case closed. You see, it even says in verse 9, it says if we confess our sins, it says, it doesn't say he is lenient and kind. He is faithful and just. He is faithful and just. He is, fa- he is faithful to be just. You don't come before the Father. Man, I hope he's lenient this time. I hope he's lenient this time. I hope he's lenient this time. You don't have to worry about that. He is just. He forgives us not because he's lenient, because he is just. It would not be just for him. And that, so we, we have, the, and that's why Jesus gives us this picture of a father. We're coming to a father who loves to forgive us. And this is personified in Luke 15 in the prodigal son. Remember that story? Prodigal son, he just, he just did everything wrong. And it says he came to his senses and he came groveling back like, oh, you know, like just to be a servant would be better than what I've So he comes back. He has a change of mind. He repents. He comes. And the father is not standing in a distance with his arms crossed like, boy, he's going to get it when he comes home. But what you see is you see a father who becomes undignified. He pulls up his skirt and starts running to the son. And before the son starts to mutter out a few words of confession, before he can finish the confession, he says, son, shh. Puts a ring on his finger. Puts a robe around him. Kills a fatted calf. Has a party. Because my son who was gone has now come back. And that's the way your heavenly father feels toward you. See, the enemy of your soul wants to put the attention on yourself. That's why you have to justify yourself. It's the only way you can psychologically not be in a corner right now with your crawled up in a ball. If you knew that God was going to punish you, if you really believed that and thought somehow, so the enemy of your soul is like, he's not going to accept you. He's not going to accept you. You're, you're, You're not as good as you think you are. Of course you're not. In fact, that's part of the problem. See, ironically, those of us if we have this I don't deserve it attitude, can be the most confident. Which I know doesn't make sense. I'll say it again. Though if you can if you if you have this belief that you are not worthy, ironically you are the most confident. Because you're not looking at your own worthiness. You're looking at the worthiness of Jesus. And you'll know that he'll come because you know your father is just. He is merciful, he is kind. And he's also just. And Jesus stood in our place and bore the full wrath of our sin on our behalf.